Welcome to Digication Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Yan. In this episode, you will hear part two of my conversation with Mark Thompson, Assistant Director for Teaching and Learning Experiences at the Center for Innovation in Teaching and Learning at the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. He is also the Program Director for the Information Accessibility Design and Policy Program. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Digication's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of Digication Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. You know, if you are creating tools for other people to use, um, would it be someone like us who's a vendor, you know, provide platforms, digital platforms for institutions? But really, I mean, there are people, people create tools for for the world for, for all kinds of purposes, right? But what are some advice that you would have in terms of accessibility? What do they have to think about? What is it that will bridge that gap as you, we were talking about? Well, I can speak to that on a number of different levels. I'll, I'll start maybe with at the higher level and say that, um, you know, a, a recent WebAIM poll, WebAIM stands for Web Accessibility in Mind, AIM, uh, showed that formal training in this area ranked last uh, among the top 10 ways of learning about accessibility, which goes back to the point I was making about mentoring and apprenticeship as well. But it also speaks to the need for more formal training uh, in this area. Uh, some of that's coming more informally through collaboration, uh, but I think there's a lot more work to be done uh, by formally including accessibility and universal design in the curriculum, particularly in uh, computer science and engineering courses, but also in art and design courses. Um, we've been recently uh, awarded a faculty grant to uh, a member of our uh, recreation, sport, and tourism uh, department who works with uh, accessible and inclusive spaces, yeah. right? So, and is, you know, um, really uh, training her students to think about venues in, in that way. So there's that, there's, there's that uh, level of it. But then there's also the, the right down to the nitty gritty functional tasks that are involved in performing, you know, something you know that your users are doing frequently, whether, whether it's an editor a tool for a specific task with the editor tool that they're performing. Um, and one of the things that we stress in the IEDP program, we have a, one of our projects in, is a usability testing project. Um, but in that context, we talk about the importance of including people with disabilities in your usability testing. So um, here you have an example that you mentioned uh, of someone who is blind, who is giving you a lot of helpful feedback. Um, but then, you know, what about keyboard-only users, right, who are not blind? Uh, and there are differences there, even though blind users are keyboard-only users uh, for obvious reasons. Um, and so what is their user experience like uh, as they try to work? And what can you learn from them in the design there? What about neurodiverse people? Uh, involved in the uh, in the usability testing. Uh, so stressing the importance there of 
uh, the diversity of people that are involved in the usability testing, that part of the design of the uh, of the product. Now, to me, you know, as someone who's, you know, I, I lived in Silicon Valley for about 10 years and I see a lot of, you know, people doing, so to speak, cutting edge, you know, technology work. Accessibility was not talked about almost ever. In fact, when I reach out to people, my my colleagues to, you know, ask for advice, they are all sort of like, you know, what? I mean, I think that most people they they try not to say say it this way, but ultimately it comes out to be, well, what's what what exactly is percentage of people that would be using this? Do you really need to address them? Um, it's been over fifteen years, but I do remember. Uh, we all we all knew it that when people heard the word accessibility back then they would run yeah. the other way um, and we looked for other ways to explain that um, so that we didn't there was that trepidation there but I think that's that's really gone away uh, and I've watched uh, over the years I've watched companies like Microsoft over the past maybe eight or nine years uh, make giant steps in the area of of accessibility, and it's it's really interesting to see the way the design is evolving, in such a way that accessibility is not something that we do after the fact, something that we fix, but it is a, it's an integral part of the authoring process. It's just baked in, almost like accessibility by default, um, and we're getting closer to it with things like the accessibility checker in real time, uh, which is also a, almost a, a learning tool in and of itself. Uh, we had a prototype here called Ally First. Ally is a numeronym for accessibility with the 11 being uh, the missing 11 characters uh, in the word accessibility between the A and the Y. And this was an editor uh, John Gunderson really spearheaded that effort, building on the back of uh, open source uh, editor, CK editor. Um, but looking at it from the perspective of how do we enable users to author accessible content by default, and how do we educate them in the process? So I think um, you know Microsoft is doing that. Um, I'm looking also at features like um, email feature where in your personal settings, you can stipulate that you want your content, uh, mail email content to be accessible. But when that plays out, uh, you have other users who are getting email from that person and it's saying that, you know, so-and-so uh, would, would like his content or her content to be accessible. And so what does that mean? And I think there's, there's a, there's a circular process there, um, but increasingly we're moving toward uh, with authoring products where uh, accessibility is really the default. I think that's a really good uh, point. I think a lot of authoring tools are starting to really pay good attention to and um, to accessibility, and I think that that would be a that's a good good place for us to pivot to teach access for for a little bit as well. Um, Teach Access is this um, organization that I, well, I believe that you are a board member. Am I right? I, 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 met, yes. I read that, yes. and um, 
And I didn't know that, Mark, because we just started doing some collaboration with them as well. Um, I don't know if you knew, but... They're one run wonderful organization. As I said, I remember talking to a couple of people back in 2014 and said, you know, hey, we're getting this, this organization started and it's really about bridging the gap between industry and higher ed. And I thought, gee, that's really a great idea. Um, and, and so Teach Access has really... Uh, has really grown a lot since then. Uh, we've got very active involvement from a number of industries and uh, higher ed institutions. Uh, and, and we're working on bridging that gap um, uh, from multiple fronts. So for example, we, uh, we recently went through the cycle of evaluating uh, grants for faculty who uh, are incorporating universal design and accessibility as part of their curriculum. Um, so that's that's one uh, big effort. Um, Teach Access also has a study away program for students in high school and college, uh, and uh, and I think that's great. They get the experience of going out into industry and seeing what goes on in. In, in making uh, the product accessible, what their team is doing in that area. Uh, I'm very happy to say that I was able to contribute a little bit to that effort um, by making uh, Coursera MOOC available to the Study Away students, uh, the certificate portion of that uh, available to those students. Uh, they're also working uh, at this bridging between industry and higher ed and the area of accreditation. Uh, so they're working closely with um, uh, ABAT, organizations like ABAT for wow. engineering, so that formally we are actually including the uh, teaching of universal design and accessibility principles in the curriculum for computer science and engineering uh, students. Uh, so really, we've got a faculty fellowship program, which we're starting, uh, we just piloted um, recently, and so that's getting, going to be getting off the ground as, as well. So um, I'm really proud to be part of that organization and contributing to that effort to bridge that gap between higher ed and, uh, and industry. Yeah, it is, a, it is really what a wonderful um uh, organization. I particularly was very um, impressed by the faculty grants that um, uh, it is doing right now. And uh, we'll post a link to um, the teachaccess.org site um, in our show notes and uh, and uh, and to um, some of these uh, resources that exist on the site, which is just fabulous. Now, that, you, Thank you for doing that, Jeff. I, yeah, I, I mean, I've had the experience of evaluating the grant proposals, and it's really interesting to see the the range of disciplines now that are uh, thinking very creatively about ways to incorporate universal design uh, in the curriculum. Well, I think for people like you and me, we believe that education can be the, the the thing that changes the world, right? And 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 it really starts. At places like this, right? It starts at these kind of opportunities, and and slowly, but you know, gradually, we we get to change the mindset of society. We get to instill this idea that hey, look, being 
inclusive and being, you know, the considering universal design, both in learning as well as just in general, is just something that we need to do for the world. Um, and it's, it, it, it's right. just like we think about ethics and, and other, you know, aspects of life, you know? Well, earlier you mentioned, you know, um, when we were talking about, you know, 60% of institutions finding it very difficult to find somebody with expertise in this area, but also what are the kinds of questions that we should be asking uh, from these candidates? What are we looking for? What is a VPAT, a voluntary product accessibility template, and how important is that? I know that a lot of companies, I don't say this disparagingly, uh, but a lot of vendors will talk about the VPAT uh, they'll mention some legal guidelines like Section 508, maybe uh, the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, but um, really until you look at the product uh, itself closely, um, you don't really know. Uh, and the VPATs can vary wildly from totally inaccurate to uh, maybe a third-party, very experienced company who's come in and done the, the VPAT for that uh, organization. Um, but I did want to mention on that specific point, again, going back to Teach Access, they are putting together a uh, collection of job descriptions uh, f that include accessibility. Have yes, you seen yes, those? Yes, it's uh, wonderful. Jeff, yeah, yeah and, and interview questions. So um, really, I'm uh, very pleased at the way that organization is approaching this from uh, multiple uh, yeah. fronts. So final plug for Teach Access, the executive director, Kate Sonka, um, she, believe it or not, um, was a Digication user <laughs> when she was a student. <laughs> well, oh. I've got one for uh -huh. you too, Jeff. She is a graduate of the <laughs> IEDP program. <laughs> it's just wonderful. Um, I, I think that... Uh, yeah. I, I don't know what the what the what the chance is, but you know, just I f it feels like the all these all the people that you know really like this stuff. We all ended up you know meeting each other one way or another, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, it's yeah, pretty it's pretty amazing. amazing. So um, I want to um, ask you a little bit about now. I I think that. Hopefully, folks who are listening to this, who are still listening to this, you know, would find in their, you know, if they don't know about accessibility, um, this is probably one of those conversations that makes them think a little bit more about it or makes them be, you know, feel like, well, maybe I should look up, maybe I should go and find more resources. And there are tons of resources and um, uh and uh, and for some, they might be looking for, no, I've been looking for programs like IADP, a formal training certificate program offered by a university that has great reputation, uh, great, great credibility, uh, lots of, you know, real, real world knowledge and, and, and experiences, you know, they can do that. And I, I really want to make sure people know about the IADP program because it's such a wonderful experience. At Digication, it's now become a policy that anyone that wants to attend that will get it uh, paid for, um, you know, whenever they, they want. And uh, I'll mention, if you want an easy, if, you, if this is something you're just getting started at and maybe you want to test the waters a little bit, uh, I, I would strongly recommend the free 
uh, Coursera MOOC, an introduction to uh, accessibility and inclusive design. Uh, this is a course that really is, you know, introductory, uh, but I think presents a, a number of, uh, we tried to create a number of spotlight videos which gave different perspectives on accessibility, particularly from people in the field, maybe people working in accommodation, people who are experts in universal design for learning, uh, all of which, um, in addition to the perspectives from people with different disabilities, I think, uh, make that course a, a good introduction to the topic. And then uh, the depth uh, that we provide in the 24-week IEDP program, it is three courses, three eight-week fully online asynchronous courses. So it's, it's, a, it's a time commitment um, by today's standards <laughs> where I think a lot of people are hoping to just learn it all in a three-day workshop. Um, but the, um, our graduates go on to, to straight from the program to take the IAAP certification exam, uh, and they're passing it, and they're writing about it on our uh, IEDP LinkedIn site, which is a, a group LinkedIn site that I set up to sort of uh, gather graduates from the program and, and help maintain that network they they basically helped me set that up they told me well we we've really enjoyed being with one another for 20 24 weeks and now you give us a certificate and we say have to say goodbye to one another and that so that made me think why don't i extend the you know the the learning community there so we're sharing with each other um people are getting internships or new jobs they're sharing information like that tips uh, or even just sharing successes like, hey, I went on and I, I passed the CPAC uh, exam uh, for the IAAP, uh, which in turn encourages other people to go ahead and, and do that. So, yeah, um, I think that it is really, that is really wonderful. And I even, I would share one something that, you know, perhaps from a, um, you know, um, a small company that's not a Microsoft, you know, where, where we feel like that accessibility has 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 been a competitive edge for us. Um, it's not a it's not an afterthought, and it's not a waste of resources. It's not a resource that you you can't afford not to have. Um, it's it's um, it's something that what we have found, and it's not just because our customers happen to demand accessibility. But it actually goes all the way to recruiting, for example. So we believe that more and more engineers, more and more people who are in any, any roles, from marketing to sales to support, right? they don't want to work for a company where accessibility is not considered. They don't want to work for a company where they have to tell their customers that Oh, you want accessibility? Not here. We don't do that. They don't want to work for that company. Um, we we have found that you know just it's it's for anyone who had that misconception that well it's going to cost us a lot of money to do this. I think there is an initial investment, um, but I think it's well worth it. Today, I would say that. You know, for example, in every aspect of our product design, all the way to delivery, and you know our support process, accessibility is a big topic. 
So from our very designer, when they're sketching out something, I'm not saying that they will sketch it out in a way that, you know, like, um, you know, when someone is just sketching out the idea of a user interface, I'm not talking about what people think about, like, oh, are you putting in an alt tag during the sketch? No, they're, you know, we're talking papers, you know, they're just drawing something out. But it's the concept of what they're thinking about. So conceptually, they're not just thinking about, will there be an alt tag to an image or an area label to a, to a user interface element? <laughs> it's actually about how they are going to consider the interaction, the usability, how many, like you were saying, how many clicks, how many tabs it takes for a person to go from one place to another. Um, and then for the developers, for the programmers, and then all the way to right now, before any of our code get pushed, you know, in Digication formally, there is a requirement that access an accessibility review has been done. Um, some of it is automated by tools, like you had mentioned. Some of it is by humans, you know, has to actually go through it and, and, and evaluate that. Um, and and yeah. these are things that, yeah, maybe it takes just a little bit longer, but actually overall, it also happened to have made our tools better, uh, had made it more usable for everyone, yeah. not just anyone, you know, the people that have to be using a screen reader. Um, and so I, 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 yeah. I would hope that, you know, this becomes more of a norm than, than, you know, someone have to go out of their way to do this. I think you made a number of good points there, Jeff. I mean, the first of which I think is about the climate uh, around accessibility at the company level. But I'll say that in higher ed, um, not too long ago, I did a, a talk for the Grad Academy grad students who were just beginning to teach. Uh, it was a session on making your online course accessible. And as they were walking in the door, I overheard two students saying, this is a session I really wanted to attend. And all oh, me too. I really like this topic. I'm really interested in this topic. And I thought to myself, what a far cry this is from back in 2014 when people ran the other Why? way <laughs> when you so they're aware and and I think the climate um, the climate really is is changing on that and marketing is also a good point um, you know for for sure legally um, it's interesting I still scratch my head um, when uh, you know an organization can have an inaccessible product um, and yet, if that product is used at a at a university, for example, uh, and, and the university is liable for that uh, product, the university can be sued, not the company. So, in some ways, really, the the leveraging that higher ed institutions have is at that juncture with purchasing, right? If they can work with the vendor so that. You know they can make that product more accessible, and I'll say that nothing is 100% accessible um, it, from the start. Um, and as and and as updates are made, things change, things break. Um, but that focus on the usability and the functional tasks uh, is is really critical. Even if you look at something like the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines and how those have evolved. Um, you mentioned we're not so much looking at the nitty-gritty of the alt text, um, 
But looking at the first iteration of the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, which were very much tied to specific technical mm -hmm. yep. uh, things like oh. alt text, and then how that evolved uh, with the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines 2.0, because that the initial version of it was outdated almost immediately because technology uh, changes so rapidly. And so the principle-based nature of the WCAG uh, Web Content Accessibility Guidelines um, has in some ways future-proofed it a little bit more, but it's very much principle-based. And when you break it down, it is the poor principles, P-O-U-R, right? Perceivable, operable, understandable, and robust. Um, and so those are very... If you think about it, those are very uh, rooted in universal design, but also functional. Can you now? I'm going to close out this conversation with a a question on sort of from an institution standpoint. I I think that you and I are both cheerleaders for this. We want this to happen. We see it, the positive side of what happens right now. We also see, on the other hand, instructors coming out of you know several years of because of the COVID being pretty burnt out, and then when they come back, they are being asked to do hybrid courses, which they are not used to, and they are finding it difficult. Um, they are finding that they are being asked to, you know, deliver their course in person, but also online at the same time so they're looking into a camera but also looking into a sea of people in the classroom and trying to make all of this you know potential collaboration and 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 synergy work between you know these different realms of you know existence and at the same time we're saying well you should embrace universal design and learn you know for learning um, we you should create multiple multiple modalities, you know, for delivering your 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 content and so on. So some of the things that I hear from instructors today are that they're going, well, where, how, how do I even get to that point? You know, like it 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 used to be that I say this one thing one time and that seemed to have been enough. Um, and now I have to deliver it so many different ways to different audiences in different, you know, multi multiple times. Um, what is what are some, you know, real practical strategies for an institution or faculty members, or if you are, you know, a program director or a chair or a dean who may you may have some resources. But how do you even start to tackle all of this? Because you know, this is the reality of where they are today. That's a great question, especially since uh, the new team we're building is precisely right. in that position, right? How do we roll this out to the campus at large, and how do we approach uh, faculty members who, who, you know, are looking at this even post-pandemic uh, as a daunting task? Um, I do think that a cultural shift occurred post-pandemic. Uh, you know, we're very comfortable now with some of the tools that we use, the web conferencing tools, for example, Zoom, uh, really is ubiquitous. Um, and But I can remember before the pandemic when I might have suggested for one reason or another that we meet via web conferencing. 
And the faculty member said, well, what, what's that? And uh, so really it was a sea change um, there. So um, I think that was also very helpful to some instructors. They might have been dragged into what we then referred to as emergency remote teaching. <laughs> Um, but it continued to evolve, and we can build on that. Um, at the faculty level, uh, one of the one of the things that Thomas Tobin stresses in his book "Reach Everyone, Teach Everyone" is the plus one method, and that is a, a mindset of thinking about universal design for learning more from an iterative perspective. So uh, earlier, for instance, we were talking about the syllabus and. and ways in which you could focus on making that syllabus uh, more uh, in line with universal design principles. It's focusing on one element of the, the class, maybe even in one assessment in that course. How could I make that one assessment uh, more aligned to uh, UDL principles, perhaps by offering students different ways uh, to complete that assignment and yet meeting the same learning outcomes. Uh, we're providing multiple deliverable formats for that assignment, whether it be video or uh, something text-based or an infographic, for instance. Uh, again, achieving the same learning outcomes, but allowing for multiple modes of expression for learners. But the key there is, so there are two strategies that I, I have in mind for working with faculty at this level. One is that, that iterative plus method. The other one is um, getting faculty to acknowledge or recognize that they're already incorporating UDL principles in their course because there are a lot of overlaps with uh, more traditional best practices for instructional design. So, um, as I'm moving into uh, the Faculty Summer Institute here at um, University of Illinois, uh, May 23rd and 24th, um, we're going to have a learning design table where we'll have some some of our uh, faculty who do human-centered design and universal design for learning at the table. Uh, some will be talking about interaction design and visual design. Um, but what I want to stress um, from my perspective, first to establish that foundation, that comfort level, uh, is that um, getting faculty to recognize where they're already using some of these universal design principles and, and build on that foundation. I think it really can be overwhelming to to, to approach this, you know, you know, as a in its entirety. Well, go through and do it all um, for an entire course. So. Uh, that said, I think there's a lot of promise for approaching uh, uh, program design with through that uh, lens of universal design. There's a real opportunity there um, at the design uh, stage. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, maybe getting to do that with uh, some programs that are coming up for development. This may be... Uh, one area where our universal design for learning team gets involved. But but those are some strategies that come readily to mind for working with, with faculty. Um, at the institutional level, it helps when you have some supports in place, like an accessibility policy, um, you know, a sensitivity to inclusion and diversity 
um, you know, whether that's a mission statement that's clearly expressed or uh, syllabus language uh, that encapsulates that uh, or tenure and promotion um, requirements can include that. And and now you had mentioned very at the top of our conversation today that you are also have a UDL certificate program, but for faculty at your institution right now, is that what, what's happening? We are just getting started with that at our institution um, and um, working out the curriculum of that. And uh, this is something I would love to, uh, not only our faculty, but uh, open that up to our sister campuses at Springfield and Chicago. Perhaps beyond that, uh, I'm, I'm thinking big, but you know, uh, our Big Ten Academic Alliance partners, um, I think that, that would widen the scope of it yeah, even more. Yeah, I'm thinking that resources like this could become the, 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 um, the piece that almost feels like um, if I am, if I run a program, I'm a department chair, I'm a, a dean of a, of a college somewhere, um, or even if I'm a provost, you know, for a university, the ability to know that there are highly trained, highly experienced professionals who've been thinking about this um, in a very serious manner and have thought about how to look at it at a curriculum level, you know, look at it from a program design level, look at it from a faculty development level that bakes it into sort of the 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 entire you know uh, the, bakes into their program meaning that it is not just a slap on hey here's a additional thing that you can do if you want to do it it's more about hey this is what we care about here we talk about inclusivity and this is how we express ourselves yes and i think with uh, online programs in particular and the huge wave of online programs that is still cresting, I believe, uh, in the rush to to get these programs out, there is a tendency to focus at a more atomic level on the individual courses, uh, but not to think about you know the continuity uh, or the uh, core uh, competencies, for example, that are going to be moving through that pro uh, program. So being able to get in and think about this at the program level uh, is very important. Something like portfolios, like education, are a great way to to help pull those uh, pull that thread through um, and to to capture really uh, evidence of those uh, core competencies. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, Mark. Thank you so much for sharing everything today. I, I feel like I've taken a lot longer than I had promised you before. I apologize, but uh, I uh, I have learned so much. Every time I talk to you, I learn so much, and I'm always inspired. Um, I look forward to hearing more about you know this new UDL team and and what you what you do with it. Uh, I have um, big big expectation. Um, I, 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 I feel like that just knowing your history and what you've done, I feel like this is going to be a real legacy that you're going to be leaving behind. And I look forward to you. 
I would love to see three years from now a universal design for learning yes. center here within the uh, CITL. Okay, well, yeah, we'll let's uh, let's uh, we'll we'll check in. We'll, and uh, and hope that uh, we can have that conversation three years from now, and and I'll be able to congratulate you. Uh, but uh, meanwhile, uh, thank you again for um, all your insights and 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 it's it's really just wonderful to to be able to share uh, just a sliver of the kind of things that you do. And we've just been such a recipient, um, fortunate recipients of being able to um, to work with you and your team. Uh, uh, it's a it's a it's been a real honor, and I I, I hope uh, we continue to do that uh, for for a long time. Well, I would like to thank Digication as well for being very proactive uh, in this area. Okay, well, take care and talk soon. This concludes our conversation. To hear our next episode, be sure to subscribe to Digication Scholars Conversations on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. The Digication Scholars Conversation series is brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative e-portfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please like, subscribe, and share with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.